Hooray. Happy World Animal Day. It's World Animal Day. That's what it says on time.is. Oh, well, this is confusing because it's this is our mental health day podcast episode. Yeah. So I'm keeping this in the cold open just to confuse things further. <laughs> our favorite dog, Brizzy. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, uh, Niall. I did not mean to call you an animal. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. It's animal day today, but on the day of recording, but we're putting this out in conjunction with World Mental Health Day. October 10th. But not this particular episode. There's a later episode that's going out on World Mental Health Day. Just, you know, it's Follow me so far? easy for everybody. Straightforward. Not confusing. You know, you know I, I promised myself I wouldn't do this because with the cold open, I said this time we'll make it super succinct and simple because I found out that um place I used to work at very briefly uh, as part of their mental health awareness kind of week around Mental Health Day, they were going to uh, send around the link to this podcast episode. So I said, OK, for the sake of my former colleagues, I'll keep this nice and succinct. <laughs> Because they're probably not aware <laughs> of uh, the way WAP episodes usually go. Yeah. Um, somebody told me they were listening to the GDPR and then about 30 minutes in they go, oh, you started talking about GDPR. <laughs> Wait, GDP. GDP. Not, oh. You did it again. God, you're silly. Uh, <sighs> also, I was chatting to a listener at the show uh, who was going in for like a medical appointment and she was really nervous. So she asked the um, the nurse or doctor, whoever was with her, would you mind if she put on an, a podcast just to calm her? And she put on us. And the and the nurse was like, oh, what's it about? And she went, oh, it's just, um, it's like, it's a political podcast. And they were like, oh, okay. And then she put on her What I'm Aliens episode. And <laughs> her, I spent the first six minutes talking about the weird colored eggs that my parents' chickens were laying. And then she had to like answer more questions with the nurse and that made her more nervous. So it was a bit of a, a, bit of a fiasco. Anyway, I'm getting off topic again. So yeah, we're here to talk about World Animal Day. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, mental health. <laughs> no, GDPR. <laughs> okay, first things first, theme music. So, it's Mental Health Week, or it's mental, World Mental Health Day on the 10th. Yep. Which is the Saturday, I believe. So we're doing something a little bit special. We're going to do... Because we wanted to talk about mental health for a while. Um, we've been doing what this podcast four years. Nearly four so we've years. Missed, yeah, we've missed three <laughs> World Mental Health Days. Uh, but that's not really for lack of trying. It's just because it's so personal to us. We didn't really know the best way of going about it. Yeah, we nearly and, did it last year, but I bailed. Yeah. Yeah. And plus we and also we'll want, we also wanted to get a really good guest. We didn't want people that, to have to rely on us talking bullshit for about aliens that, and GDP. <laughs> exactly. No. So but this year we finally managed to get all the pieces together and we decided to do it kind of a little bit differently to how we usually handle subjects. We're going to have our usual episode out on the usual Tuesday where we talk to a great guest about kind of mental health big picture kind of thing. With a bit of politics. Um, but with a bit of politics, a bit of like societal impact, a bit of all that kind of stuff. What you, the kind of stuff, stuff you'd expect from someone who knows what you're talking about. Um, but then just because of the nature of the t- of the subject of mental health and you and I have talked about, we've we've alluded to it in the past, our own mental health journeys and wanting to like be a bit more open about it to try and get rid of some of that stigma mm-hmm. around talking about mental health. We thought we'd do a separate episode that's going to come out on the 10th of October, World Mental Health Day. That's just going to be you and I shooting the shit and talking about our own mental health journeys and experiences and that kind of thing. Not to serve as any sort of guide rat and just to help normalize the conversation because maybe if there's something, you know, in our experience that resonates with someone else that, you know, can maybe prompt them to take positive action and then, then that's great. Um, but, you know, you can't expect these conversations to be normalized if you don't have these conversations and that's that's what we're going to do. So it's a two-parter. Twofer. I've had a two-parter in a while. The twofer. Twofer's nothing. Uh, like all our episodes. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. So before we get into it, uh, we have a quick little plug. Yes, uh, we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network, which has a massive variety of shows, including the ones we're going to give a shout out to this time, The Fine Gentleman of Pints of Malt. Have you ever listened to this one, Richie? Yeah, I did yeah. back when, uh, actually after we had like a group call 
the heads yes. of Food Call, and they, I got introduced to the lads, and um, they seem like great banter. Yeah, yeah, they are four Nigerian Irish dudes um, who talk about their experience of growing up in Ireland. They're like they're linked still to the culture of Nigeria and African culture mm-hmm. as it is, and basically just shoot the shit about all the most interesting and diverse topics that they that they talk about. And also, I still can't get over how hilarious and wonderful that title for a show is. Yeah, Pints of Money. <laughs> it's so great. It's so, so great. Good. So there'll be a link to that in our show notes. And also, oh. I think we have an ad to play right here. Okay, it's Jibs here from Pints of Malt. <laughs> so our podcast is basically a group of Irish Nigerian lads who tell their stories growing up in Ireland as well as Nigeria. And we share our experiences with all of y'all. We also had a bit of comedy as well, you know, to get y'all laughing, get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in. So y'all sit back and just, you know, enjoy the show. As Jib said, we're the Prince of Mott podcast. You can find us on all streaming platforms, including the Headstuff Network. Great stuff. Yeah, the, the the black and Irish voice is one that's really just, just not a lot of it around. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got, we've got an odd history with... African Irish people, yeah, but, yeah, but it's, it's it, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. So, like I said, link in the in the show notes if you want to get into not that. We what am we Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you and I, God, Steve, <laughs> got to get our shit together. <laughs> that is a very important distinction. This is why I'm glad you're on the show. <laughs> oh, I would have just dug myself a hole a long time ago. So yeah, so. We, we alluded to at the start of the episode, we're going to talk about mental health with, with our special guest. Before we get into it, maybe just a trigger warning up top, we're going to talk about anxiety and panic attacks and depression and, and all those kind of things that you would expect with the subject of mental health. So if that's something that you're, um, you know, you find triggering, just, just Boris FYI. Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> we also talk about Mullingar. So if you, if, if that triggers you as well, I know it's a horrible place. If you've got negative experiences from there, um, just be warned. Nah, Bullingar's lovely. No, it's not. It just, it just gets a lot of no, slack. it's not. Even, even Brezzy, <laughs> who's from there, says it, okay? That's true. That's I, true. It's fine. I don't mind fighting that battle. Sorry, Mullingar. <laughs> but some places just need to recognise. Yeah, so one of, one of the reasons we felt comfortable finally getting around to doing uh, mental health as a subject, as a podcast episode, is because of the guests we managed to land. Um, Niall Breslin, who's better known as Brezzy. You'll hear it in this episode. I fangirl over him. Oh, you squeeze I, so loud. Yeah, I know. I try and keep Full it. On. I tried. I know. But I, I genuinely was. I was so happy when, like, so he was like a dream guest for this. You, you wanted, for, for you wanted to explode more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he was a dream guest for this for a long time. And I, yeah. I, I didn't think we'd ever be able to get him. But he was like our, it was like, oh, is. like who, who would we want to get? And then we'll, we'll try and get him and then we'll try and get someone else whenever he says no. Yeah, exactly. But he immediately said yes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and he he was great. And like I said, I was I fangirled over him because I genuinely have followed and loved his work for years. I talk about in the episode about going to see his band, the Blizzards, when I was a teenager. And then after that, his solo music I loved. And then when he later on pivoted um towards mindfulness yeah. and becoming an advocate for mental health, I followed that as well. And his podcast a series Where Is My Mind on Spotify was, and, and I talk, well, you'll, you'll hear it in the show, but it was really important to me. It came at like a, a really opportune time um, for what I was, you know, experiencing with my own mental health. And so I've just doted on the guy for from afar for years. So the fact that we managed to get him just, oh, mwah, chef's kiss. I mean, and I guess you like him as well. He was awesome. Yeah, he was hilarious. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not as up. I, I wasn't as into pop punk. By the way, it is fucking pop punk. You were like, no, it's indie punk. It's not. It's pop punk. It says it on Wikipedia. It's not pop punk. Pop punk is like Blink-182 and Green Day. They Blizzard's are the Irish version that. of that. They are. Uh, anyway, anyway, we'll, I don't know. Anyway, we'll fight, we'll fight anyway. that battle later. I definitely wasn't going to yeah. try and contradict him. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was great. He was fantastic. He was really articulate, really funny. He thought about these things so deeply and competently and... You can just tell he is someone that wants to wants to get these messages across and has thought very hard about the best way to do it. So I don't yeah. know anyone else we could have got that would have been better. And also, as I said before, he is very funny. Yeah, he's, he's, he's hilarious. Yeah, so I guess let's just stop faffing around and let's get into it. Lovely stuff. How's your, how's your pandemic going, by the way? Are you bunk hunkered down somewhere? 
I am cocooning my parents at the moment. Well, I was cocooning my parents and I was in the process of buying my first home about two weeks before the lockdown. My parents don't realise that I'm I'm not here looking after them anymore. I literally have nowhere else to go. So they think I'm still cocooning them, but I'm I'm currently, um, I don't have anywhere to live. So that's the problem. And I, just, I don't want to be in Dublin because it's a fucking absolute cesspit at the moment. Yeah, I just, yeah. Got, back, I just got back to London and it's its own bespoke cesspit. Yeah, yeah, no, Dublin, Dublin is definitely is gone. It's gone full twenty eight days later, very, oh, no. very, very soon. So, but I'm I'm Mullingar, so it's not too bad. Nice. You, we're used. To, it's been twenty eight days later here for about forty years. So we're cool. <laughs> I was glad you said that. Actually, I was really tempted, but I bit my tongue. <laughs> no, that's how I work. That's how I roll. I always say it before someone else has a chance. <laughs> So we're here with Niall Breslin, uh, aka Brezzy. You might know him from the Blizzards, from his solo career, from twice uh, being the twice winning judge from The Voice Ireland, maybe from Lust for Life, maybe from Where's My Mind, maybe from Spotify Wake Up Wind Down, or maybe from the Lockdown Ukulele Rockdown, which is all to say that Brezzy's a very, very busy man with a very long and complex career. So maybe he can be forgiven for not remembering an interaction that he and I had many years ago. Unless you do, Brezzy. Uh, I I am absolutely going to have to pretend I do. It's a really dodgy screen, so I can't really see oh, yeah. it. So. It could be anybody. <laughs> I could be anyone. Oh, oh like, just come up closer to the... Oh, nah, oh shit, yeah. Mm, now I remember, remember that, Ali? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't for me. If you were cash your mind back, I think it was 2005, Rathangan County Kildare, the Lunasa Festival, the blizzards were at the height of their powers and you were playing, you were the, the headline act and... You were there having a pint with a few young lads in Rathangan from the local secondary school, just chatting about music and guitars. And uh, I told you I like Stratocasters. And you said, go away out of that. Fender um, Telecasters are where it's at. And uh, you and Daniel Shilbert to make fun of me for liking Stratocasters. And before I could rebuttal, you got up on stage then. And, and what do I play now? You play Stratocasters now. Yeah. So yeah. what happened there? That's what I was going to... This is a politics podcast, but I want to divert for a second and f- figure out why you're such a hypocrite. You're an incredible activist. You, you really had a huge influence on me in that in Rathangan when you, when you had the conversation. I was like, this guy knows his shit and I'm going to buy a Stratocaster. I actually hated them. Really? I hated Stratocasters because I'm, 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 I'm really not very nuanced in how I play guitar. So I kept turning it down as I was playing it because my big <laughs> chubby fingers kept just not quite getting it and I have massive hands so it wasn't built for me it was built for very nimble slick guitar players not big you know meatheads like me so um, but then I found one one day and I turned plugged it in and it sounded like it could stop wars so I was like <laughs> I am buying this and that was my Stratocaster story and I haven't used anything else since and have you used it to stop any wars I have used it to stop wars it hasn't actually stopped any wars but no, not, come, we're, not, we're not at war no, we're not, we're not, we're not, but there was an intention to stop war. And he, I think that's nearly the next best thing. He played a Desus 4 and it stopped all wars, but it did start a pandemic. And that's just like the monkey's paw trade-off you have to make with your Magic Stratocaster. Well, if that's what you want, if you want to blame the pandemic on the Stratocaster, then I'm sure Fender will have a legal, <laughs> a legal uh, letter coming to you very soon. <laughs> I went out and bought a Stratocaster years later and I still, I thought about you when I was doing it, would you believe? You've haunted me for, for so years. So I was the original influencer. Yeah, you really were. Yeah. But I'm glad I've got some absolution now with, with your, you switching over to Stratocaster. And maybe what I don't remember is I, I'm one of those rugby players where, where concussion wasn't a thing. <laughs> so uh, I, I remember talking about this one day, going out to play a match and it actually felt like my brain was wobbling in my head and the coach Ooh. was like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I'm like, yeah, there's nothing wrong because he's told me because he's qualified. And uh, yeah, I had about, I went through a season of about four or five of them. So... I'm waiting for that uh, moment where I, t- I dropped dead. Uh, but no, that's my excuse. Your problem I is your brain is too you. loose. You need to get some swelling in there so it just fits in your skull better. That's what get I was a few trying more to do. knocks. Yeah. When those lads were kicking me in the face, that's exactly <laughs> what I was hoping for. Well, you've come a long way from uh, playing in Main Street with Angan. So the first question for you is going from the blizzards to now being a mental health advocate. That's a big pivot. And could you maybe just explain to us what was the catalyst for that? Well, if you were in the blizzard, you'd understand. <laughs> um, no, that's a terrible thing to say. Um, my journey with mental health has been a long one and it's been a personal one. And it's also been, um, you know, people around me. It hasn't just been my journey and it's something I've been exposed to for many years. So I'd, uh, I'd always a very strong, when I say understanding, I was very aware of it, but I was also terrified of it. Uh, like everybody else in this, in this kind of repressed 
uh, emotionally repressed country we live in. Hmm. And um, I kind of realised towards like, by the time I moved to London and the band, the Blizzards kind of took a break and I kind of realised all I was doing constantly was running away from not wanting to deal with my own head. And I thought by moving to London that like people would sing to me in the Rivals Hall, like Love Actually and like Hugh Grant walks around slapping people's arse and Notting Hill, but like... like He doesn't? London... He doesn't. He doesn't. Oh. You have to pay him for it. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who was that you then, to do it. Who was it, Richie, when you. I went over there? <laughs> did you get it, in, Stevie? Did you, or did you get it when you got in, You got the the kind of the, the Heathrow arrival scene with the big choir thing? <laughs> no, I didn't. You didn't get it either. Fuck. Um, but yeah, I just I kind of just realised at that point I had a I suppose what can only be referred to as a breakdown in London, and London is a tough place to live, as you know. Yeah. Um. And I fell into addiction, fell into like prescription medication and it kind of, the rock bottom came pretty soon after that. And that's where my relationship and my kind of open relationship with mental health. But what, what, where it goes back to is when I decided to retire from rugby, I retired from rugby because I simply wasn't coping. And my only regret with retiring was I'd never told my coach the real reason why uh, I was retiring because two players I would have played with since then had died by suicide. And I felt that if I had said something, then I might have started the conversation. So I promised myself if I ever found myself in a position again to do that, that I wasn't going to, uh, it's just crucified too many people I know and too many communities. So it was a very personal thing um, and my own journey. And that was kind of, it, it wasn't the plan. It just wasn't the plan. You don't plan those things. And I certainly didn't expect it to become, um, a, a, you know, started starting organizations and charities around it. But I was kind of just getting increasingly pissed off at the fact that Irish people were just so unbelievably um, just allergic to being humans. They, they wouldn't show the basic human condition, which is pain, emotion, joy, all these different things. And, and I just got very interested in it and I ended up going on kind of a um, kind of an academic and a personal journey on it. Yeah, you mentioned, um, well, you've done a mindfulness um, intervention master's. I've never even heard of that before. That sounds complicated. How did, um, like, was it this, was it like, that's a very specific, as you say, academic thing to do. Was it that like, it was the urge that you wanted to get the, the science behind it as opposed to like you're mentioning the cultural parts of it as well but did you want to learn more about how the brain worked and how that affected people when you were doing that? I did it genuinely as a personal thing first because mindfulness is kind of the now we have to kind of redefine what mindfulness is because it's been utterly commodified to be the member in the 90s used to sell ab machines and tell you you'd have abs if you used them for five minutes a day you know still, still waiting yeah, it's still in my fucking dad's shed, like behind the lawnmower. Like, so we commodified fitness in the 90s and we're doing the exact same thing with stress now. We've commodified stress. We, what we've done is we've kind of rallied the troops and the population of the world so, to be so fucking stressful and so highly strung. And now we're going, we have just the thing to chill you out. And mindfulness has been around two and a half thousand years. And right now it's been kind of the buzzword in every workplace. And, you know, that's just so people who push push their staff to kind of unbelievable limits can go well we're looking after them because we're doing a mindfulness course there is so much more to it and um, it changed my life completely it completely changed my life it made me observe and I'm not going to get into kind of the depths of it but it made me look at myself in a totally different way which I'd never done but then I started to study it and obviously the science and the neuroscience aspects of it kind of really are quite prevalent now and I kind of got passionate about how can I find a way to communicate this incredible information in a way that's actually more interesting than some person speaking with a really quiet voice and just telling you to just think of fluffy seas and unicorns. I'm like, no bollocks, lads. No, I'm going to pay Let's seven euros a month this. for that app, Brezzy. If you started, I'll pay for it. <clears throat> seven euro an app. Mine's six ninety nine. It's going to be, and it's going to be, my tagline is we're all fucked up, but some of us are better at it. And I just want to teach people to be better at being fucked up. Everybody, every human being, and that's not, I'm not, you know, what I struggle with in the wellness space, and I, I kind of struggle with the fact that people put me in that space sometimes because there's this real shift to just be positive all the time and everything's great and inspirational memes. What we have found with this pandemic is inspirational memes ain't going to get you so far anymore. We need more. We need to go deeper. We need to tell more stories about ourselves. We need to find a way to connect with each other. There has to be more than, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. Or Like we just we realize that they don't mean a lot when we're in the midst of something like this. And for me, mindfulness and the work that I'm hoping to do and I'm trying to do with the charity A Lust for Life and with 
the podcast is to say to people, we're just humans. That's what we are. And humans are built imperfectly. We're punished. Uh, we live in an imperfect world. We were built imperfectly and we're punished for our imperfections. There's something really fucking wrong with that. Mm. And that's what I'm trying to change the narrative around the kind of just do, car, you know, do cartwheels down the road and you'll be grand. I just, I just, yeah. life is, life is not a straight line. It's tough sometimes. Life is marvellous sometimes. And in fact, letting go of the need to have a perfect life is probably the best thing you will ever do. You can, the, the things you allude to kind of speak to a, a certain amount of reprogramming that we need to do just to kind of get to a healthier place. And you, you mentioned your work with the podcast and everything and, and the advocation and the reaching out that you're trying to do. I know in the past you personified your anxiety as your mate Jeffrey. Mm. Mm. And that's that's a real like novel way of, of looking at it. It kind of speaks to a, an outside the box thinking about how to relate these problems to people. And I'm wondering how successful that was to you or like with your podcast, like how are you finding success in communicating these very complicated things to people? Well, the way I look at people generally, and I I mean, I have to speak from firstly personal experience and my own situation. And I've been around, I've worked with some of the top best psychologists, you, you know, some of the best brains and minds I've ever met in this space. And I've listened and I've listened and I've listened. I've done far more listening, believe it or not, than I have talking. I've worked with people I trust. I've worked with people that I believe are trying to find ways for us to be able to navigate this shit show of the world that we all live in. And I really found a few things out doing that kind of work. Um, I found that that Leonard Cohen quote was always the one that kind of shined through for me. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And um, that really spoke to me in a way that kind of changed everything for me. And when I named myself Jeffrey, my brain Jeffrey, the idea behind that was... I'm very competitive. Uh, I'm not ruthless. I just believe if you're going to do something, don't do a half arse job. Give it a shot. You know, I used to push grannies out of the way at half 12 mass to get communion ahead and that kind of stuff. But I um, didn't actually push them. I just let them know I would if they didn't get out of the way. They knew, they knew the score, so it was grand. But the point being, I knew if I could get competitive with this and stop running away from it. But what I had to do, it wasn't as easy as just naming my main, mind Jeffrey and going, right, dude, we're going to sort this out. I realized at that point that I had to tell people because all my energy had gone into trying to hide Jeffrey. And if I was going to find a way to deal with this, I needed to find a way to introduce Jeffrey to the world, to other people, to friends, to colleagues, uh, to the public. And that was the most liberating thing I have ever done in my life. Terrifying. I turned off my phone for a week. I went underground, but it was liberating. I felt genuinely three stone lighter. Mm. I expected to lose my job. I didn't care. I expected to be ripped limb from limb on Twitter. I didn't care. I had gone through enough at this point. And then I said to Jeffrey, listen, dude, I'm sick of beating the shit out of you, man, because I, I really need to understand you. I need to understand how you think. I need to get to know you, even the good, the bad and the ugly. And that's the journey I went on over six years of serious, seriously <laughs> therapy. I, I moved home with my parents. You know, people have this perception of someone who ever does TV. I was skint. I, you know, I was living in London. I, you know, I didn't have any money. I wasn't able to work because I was, I wasn't well. I was doing the voice at, at this stage. And when the voice just doesn't, you know, doesn't pay. Like people have mm. this really weird kind of perception of Irish TV is, you know, unless you're one of those cushy RT contracts, there's fuck all money in it. Like, yeah. and you couldn't survive in it. So I, I kind of had to move home and I had to spend quite a lot of money on therapy. And I feel very privileged that I'm in that position. But what that did was make me understand that not everybody is in that privileged position to get therapy and get support. And that drove my, my kind of passion around the charity. How do we make this inequality issue. And in Ireland, we're very celebrate. We're celebrating a lot around equality. And it's amazing to see around gender equality, marriage equality, around um, women's rights. And it's, it's something this country has had to fast forward because we were mass, massively behind. But we certainly don't have the same passion for socioeconomic equality here. Mm. And mental health is an equality issue. And that's something that I've noticed uh, in, my, in the work that I've done. And most people who need the most help can't get it. And there's something fundamentally wrong with that in a country like Ireland. I just want to take like a quick aside to point out, like you, you mentioned how hard that was to, to make that leap to, 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 you know, talk about Jeffrey and get him out there, talk about your anxiety disorder and whatnot. But, you know, it it is so important that people do that, particularly like I remember, I you know, I was a big fan of the Blizzards and, you know, I went to that gig because I was a, a big fan of you guys. And um, Steve and I are very open about our um, anxiety issues and our anxiety disorders. And mm. to be like a young man, particularly in rural Ireland, and to see um, someone like yourself, who's, you know, you're like 
like weird here, but you were like a rock star and you were a rugby player and like you were, you know, on through a one dimensional lens, like the embodiment of like, you know, a, a manly man kind of blokey mm-hmm. bloke type thing. And then to have you come out and have these conversations and get this discourse going carried so much weight with it and we'll get back to the questions in a second but just like props to you and thank you for that well, thank you I, I I do think just just in the really important point to point this out um, this isn't a gender issue but four times more men men are four times more likely to die by suicide yeah. there's something wrong here there's something wrong I'm, I'm, I'm it's too much there are too many painful conversations being, not being had by men and I'm I'm really kind of trying to in, in not in a in a way of just just be really kind of dismissive of it but it's much more complex it's much more based around sociology and uh, our generations and not just psychology it's also based around power when we had the catholic church that basically controlled and before that was colonialism irish men have never controlled their own morals and ethics they're always been told and designed of how to feel and told not to feel and I have nothing but empathy for anyone or any generation who's dealt with that. And we're not going to change it overnight. And it, and we need to not try to fast forward this. This is going to take time. And it's moving in the right direction, but it isn't where it needs to be yet. And I think it is having conversations like this, even if it just connects to one lad who needs to go out and talk yeah. to his parents or his mate, that's it. Yeah. That is all you can think about when you're doing this work. Absolutely. And I suppose we've talked about the broader socio-political and historical and cultural issues as well. But life keeps on throwing new things at us to to destabilize things and to add more cracks into the veneer, I suppose. I mean, not even mentioning pandemic, just in general, the life has got faster. There's more things grabbing your attention. Like you said earlier on, there's more things trying to sell you things, more to more things trying to just make things more complicated and busy. Do you think in general, modern life is adding to the way people are feeling more anxious? Absolutely. And I <clears throat> I got quite interested in the area of neuroscience and I started to work with some amazing people in the space, uh, Dr. Michael Keane and other people, uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman in Stanford. And they always say we have an old brain for a new world. And if you look at the evolution of the brain and how it was designed, the brain wasn't designed to give us, give us accurate descriptions of reality. The brain is designed for survival. It is a, it's an alarm system and it is amazing. That's why we're, we've survived all this time. But it isn't great at nuanced information and it isn't great at knowing the difference between real and perceived threat. So this modern world, in my opinion, is, is kryptonite for the mind. And the people that are running it, unfortunately, are aware and they're tapping into that and they're tapping into the chinks in our armor and they're doing a bloody good job. Uh, one of the biggest companies, tech companies in America is called the Dopamine Labs and their actual tagline is we hack your, we hack your brains, to, oh, your brain to make our products addictive. They're not subtle about it anymore. The algorithms aren't subtle anymore. Um, we're having very important societal debates and movements online where there's no fucking context, where nobody can understand anyone's intention. We're ripping each other limb from limb. We're ripping people who are on the same side apart. And while all this goes on, we have the Jeff Bezos of the Bezos of the world sitting in their coliseums watching us rip each other apart. And ultimately, it's people that are struggling with this. And to get into the thing, like, there's many amazing parts to our culture, arts and music creativity, nature, all this amazing shit. There's some amazing people. But unfortunately now all, all our attention has gone on stuff that doesn't matter. And what happened in the pandemic is we started to realise there was that move to, movement towards kind of anti-celebrity, which wasn't a bad thing because we put far too much fucking emphasis on them. Mm. They're just people with opinions and, you know, and that's it. The people we should be putting our attention on are people who got out of the feckin' bed and went to work when we didn't know what the feck this was or what it was going to do to people. Um, across the board and that's the one thing I know I feel has happened in the pandemic we started to shift what really matters and who matters in our society but yeah this modern world is asking an awful lot of a brain and I'd love to get into some of the neuroscience around it it is very very interesting and neuroscientists call it the amygdala hijack and it's basically our limbic systems are just calling the shots now and our neocortex which is kind of rational thinking logical thinking part of the brain, you know, maybe I'm overreacting kind of part of the brain. That's just getting bet to shit now with the limbic system because we're in this mode of hyper arousal, which isn't a good thing, by the way. Um, 
where we feel this undercurrent of anxiety and cortisol all the time because our fight and flight systems are just constantly on because every time we pick up our phone, every time we see a news headline, every Netflix show we watch is about drugs and glorification of drug dealers. Every feckin' EastEnders episode, every headline we see in a paper, it's designed to make you shit yourself because it's good for business and your attention cannot stop. And all in the meantime, the, uh, oper- the kind of opportunity cost of this is we're not giving our presence and attention to the people we love the people that actually make us feel good. And that's the that's what I'm trying to change. And my, my podcast isn't about psychology. It's about culture. It's about how culture is doing this to us because I do believe people in their very basic are, are sound. I've always believed that. And I think we're just being kind of fecked up a little bit because we don't have the, we don't have the defense mechanisms to deal with the modern world. And that's all we're trying to do with the podcast is give people some tools to understand how to navigate this absolute shit show. So you say... Um, People are generally sound, but I'm going to ask you, do you think some people are not sound? You mentioned dopamine lab and how it's, how it's using all the different hacks that you can get out of social media interactions and stuff to sell ads. But of course we know that there's a political version of that as well, at least Mm. 70 million, one famous one, Cambridge Analytica that was famous Mm. for working with Trump and, and the Brexit campaign. And of course, like there's all sorts of companies working for the people that are on your side, if you want to call it that, um, as in, you know, the general Mm -hmm. listener doing it as well. So it's not to say that there's one side doing it. Everyone's doing it because they want to get their message across. But do you think, do you think the political realm is actively trying to do this in the same way, perhaps that the advertising or commercial realm is doing it? Or do you think they're as caught up in the problem of the hyperactive modern society as everyone else? It, it begins and it ends and begins with the political class. It has to. This is capitalism. You know, capitalism. I was speaking, doing an interview about it the other day uh, with Simon Murray, an amazing economist on the podcast. And he was like, in capitalism, there is winners and there's losers. I went, well, I disagree. I, I, the problem with capitalism for me is the, the winners can't lose and the losers can't win. Mm-hmm. And it's designed that way. And capitalism could work and should work if we had conscious, um, conscious capitalism. But the issue with that for me is that... <clears throat> There's this thing called the power, the power paradox and the kind of psychology behind the power paradox is as you go up, as you kind of go up the grade and power becomes more within your grasp, you start to sacrifice values for power. And that is happening in politics like I've never seen it. <clears throat> like, so what I call some, for example, people would call Donald Trump a sociopath or Boris Johnson a sociopath. Um, it's, you can't make that call if you can diagnose them. It's a very... Yeah big thing to throw out there. Mm. But what I do call sometimes with power in politics is the synthetic sociopath. People actually start to sacrifice their values and what they stand for and what got them there to get there. And that's the problem. And I have, I'm, I'm truly struggling with politics at the moment. And Elizabeth Warren, who's actually a very well-known mindfulness guru, uh, has said that you cannot be mindful if you're not political, because part of mindfulness is actually knowing that you're connected to each and every individual in this world. That's the core of Buddhism. And I don't like seeing people struggling. I don't like seeing what's happening in America. It's heartbreaking to watch it. It's, it's, it's a slow car crash. The UK is no better. And we just feel like the really weird piece of meat between two stale pieces of bread at the moment uh, in, in politics. And I look at our politics and what, what I'm missing in our politics is leadership. And we're also missing a strong Labour Party in Ireland. Um, I really believe, you know, I suppose I'm being biased because I come from a staunch Labour family, but I do believe that everything has just got too binary now in politics. And the politicians are using the media and the media are using politicians. And what I will say about media, and it's important to say this, the vast majority of them are, are operating out of fear for survival. Mm. They do not know if they're going to survive and they know the best way to get audience and attention is through tapping into our negativity bias and shocking us constantly. And that's what they do. And that's why everything we see is designed just to get audience. And there's a a really big research from New York University that says if you use kind of inflammatory language on Twitter, like disgrace or um, shocked, you get a 30% 30 higher chance of a retweet, which means more social engagement, which means more ad revenue. So the algorithms will always push towards that. Mm. So it's 1984. It is 1984. That's what we're living in in the political system. And we can't change that. But what we can do is become aware of that so we don't let it influence us the way it's just subtly influences us at the moment. 
And the big thing for me in the modern world is finding a way to have choice. If you can have choice, and you, the only way to have choice is to be aware how systems work. And politics and democracy is in a very, very strange place right now. Richie, you've talked about it a good few times before in the show about how you try to manage being a co-host of a political podcast while also sometimes getting too overwhelmed with how, just how awful things can be. Yeah, this, oh God, sometimes like some, so Brezzy, just for context for you, this podcast started three years ago because I didn't know anything about politics and I wanted to just, you know, wrap my head around it because like I said, I have an anxiety disorder. Why would you do that? <laughs> I was so blissful and ignorant. Oh, Brezzy, if you knew me three years ago. God, oh, I, so hate, I hate, I hated people like you. He didn't have, he didn't have that big scar on his face. It was a totally different Richie. No, Jesus Christ. I just talk about Stratocasters the whole time. But yeah. I, yeah, I just, I wanted to get my head around it more because I was living in America at the time and I was, my anxiety was being affected by what I was seeing in the news. And I thought if I could get an understanding of it, you know, you can't f- address and fix what you don't know or don't understand. So this podcast has just been like an exploration of, of that and trying to learn more so I can just kind of internalize a little better. And some weeks are better than others. It, I, it's not like an upwards trajectory of improvement there's sometimes the knowledge comes with a burden of, of more anxiety and it's it's a hard thing to wrestle and I guess my question to you uh, that would be like how do, do you feel the same way like when you when you open a newspaper or the Guardian website or whatever it is and how do you address that those heavy days when the world and politics weighs down on you that bit heavier what, I, what I'm struggling with more I'm not surprised with Donald Trump well, I'm like there's nothing he can say that will shock me anymore. There's nothing Boris Johnson will do or say that will shock me anymore. Um, what shocks me is the people that follow it. And that is what I get most kind of down about. When I look at Trump, for example, when Trump first got into power, the first thing everybody said was anyone who voted from was stupid and racist. But the reality is a lot of people voted for Trump because they were totally disenfranchised, that nobody was speaking to them. And he basically played that like a game of cards. And what we did when you had Hillary Clinton having like Katy Perry singing whatever that song is. And it was, I think what happened is Donald Trump used the kind of celebrity against, they were like, they are the liberal elite. Katy Perry's, you know, and, and all this bullshit and they're having their big thing. We, I'm with you. And it worked a treat and na- nailed it. And no matter your opinion of Donald Trump, he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it because he's spineless. He's no values. And in politics, if you know values or no morals, you'll probably do really, really well. But for me, now, if you still stand by Trump, you are a racist. You are a misogynist. You are. You are the definition of it. There is no excuse for you anymore for everything that he's done. He is evil. He's in, there is something fundamentally. I don't believe that, you know, throwing out these labels because people who throw out labels like sociopath or psychopath don't really understand what they are. And unless somebody has been diagnosed with that, it's not, it's not a road we should go down. But I'm just getting, like I look at the Trump, or sorry, the Boris Johnson thing this week with Brexit. And for somebody who grew up in Ireland, like you guys, for him to be so dismissive of what happened on the island, um, and it wasn't him, it was the people who got behind it. It was the it was the people who were just just so horrible. That got me down uh, because it, it, they don't politicians don't surprise me anymore. People like that, as I said, they don't get me down. It's the people that follow them, the people that. And what really depresses me right now, really depresses me, is that do I believe anyone in the Republican Party even believes a fucking word Trump says? No, and that's the saddest part because Republican parties aren't necessarily what conservatives conservative and conservatism is. And republicanism is about maintaining the stability of institutions. That is the first port of call of these movements. And the two of them are doing the total opposite. So I don't believe the Republican Party, I think they have their noses so far up as whole, which would, which is an absolutely devastating thought. And with Boris Johnson, do I believe everyone in the Conservative Party is? No. And this is just it's horrible to watch so much spineless uh, arse licking of such horseshit. And so I'm just disappointed that no politicians have really stood up and all that's fuck this shit. I don't care if I lose my job or I lose whatever power I have. These men do not deserve to be leaders and they're not leaders. And we need to redefine leadership and there needs to be a paradigm shift. And we're seeing it in New Zealand. We're seeing it in other countries that leadership 
is about vulnerability. It's about putting people first. And unfortunately, like what, just think of this and I'll finish this. Think of this, you know, now Biden is like, I always think with Biden and say Trump and also in Hillary Clinton, they're like the, when you only get roses at Christmas and all that's left is a coffee one and a <laughs> strawberry one. And you're kind of going, I kind of, not mad about the coffee one, but I prefer it. Yeah. That's kind of what the American elections have felt like over the last couple of years. And I think Biden is no great, you know, you know, genius There's no caramel either. barrel. No, he is no, absolutely, or a toffee. No, he's just not. Um, but like, obviously, I would, if he gets elected, I will have the biggest party I've ever had because I think it's going to change so much in the world. I'm yeah. just so disappointed Bernie Sanders isn't the person there. Mm. Uh, I believe that would have shook our entire foundational of the world, world and it would have the likes of Johnson would be literally you know back repeating his leaving certain in Eaton that's where he'd be right you know if Biden goes in so so much so so important that these men are removed from politics because they don't care yeah. and it's sad and the people that support them and get behind them are um, are what upset me the most uh, taking things closer to home, I think I already know the answer to this just based on the things we said while talking about politics, but just taking a second to just chat about the state of mental health services in Ireland mm. um, and, you know, what are we doing right, if anything, and what are the many things I assume that we're doing wrong and, and what do we need to do? Like the very fact that lust for life exists probably speaks to um, shortcomings. Yeah. Now, listen. It's important to point out as somebody who works in this space that I have a duty of care to to kind of tell the truth, but yeah. also to to not be hyperbolic or dramatic um, and just tell, tell you like it is. Uh, I've stopped referring to the mental health system in Ireland as a system because systems are meant to work. We operate what is referred to as a crisis system. So we wait for somebody to get to point a crisis and then... If, if you're lucky, there's an intervention. And point of crisis, it's an entirely different kettle of fish because it's expensive humanly and it's expensive economically. It doesn't make sense. And that is the system we operate. And right now in Ireland, of the entire mental or the entire health budget, we spend 6% on mental health. Uh, the World Health Organization says a minimum, a minimum of 13. Now, it's not just the big figure we got to look at. We got to look at how that 6% is spent. What is, it, what is it spent on and how is it distributed? And that's where you start to get into some serious shit. And then you get into things like the fact that we don't have 24-hour mental health service in Ireland. Here's quite an important one. When I was in London, I had a, a pretty severe breakdown and ended up in hospital. And it was a 24-hour crisis centre I walked into and a nurse hugged me. Now, if that happened to me in Ireland, I don't know what would have happened because that was 3 a.m. on a Monday morning. So these are the realities. We don't have 24-hour mental health services. We also have a thing called dual diagnosis, which basically means that if you have an addiction and a mental health issue, and let's call a spade a spade, they're intrinsically linked because no one I ever met who is an alcoholic or a drug addict wants to be one. It's generally a reaction to pain. Um, you will be turned away from hospital. If you're suicidal and you're drunk or you're on drugs, you'll be turned away. I can't tell you the number of suicides we have in the country because of that. Now, it's not all just about suicide. Um, our child and adolescent mental health services, there is some places where they're working, kind of, but we just had the new Vision for Change and the new Vision for Change policy was written like over 10 years ago was actually really good, really good, really exciting. They implemented fucking none of it. And now they've written a new one. They barely talked, they didn't even engage with some of the psychologists if you're not engaging with psychology um, and they're not one of the main driving forces behind the system that you're trying to create, there's a problem because we know the system is just going to be clinical. And for example, after this, I have a mate who had a really tough time in lockdown, um, really difficult time. He was sick. His family were sick. He lost a loved one. He lost his job. And he had, he rang me and he just goes, I'm utterly overwhelmed. And I said, what has happened? And he just showed me a bag of drugs. We need to stop clinicalizing trauma like this. Like this is normal reaction to pain. And the reality is we can't, we can't get him support. We can't get him in with therapy. 
And therapy takes a bit of time. And this is, it's really important I say this, the clinical model is crucial. I was on antidepressants for many, many years. But the fact that it's the first port of call for a man who's just lost his job and a loved one, that is wrong. That is a system that we are working here and it is not operating properly. The NHS isn't perfect, but it's fucking far better than ours. Now, I'm saying that the people that work in our system are superheroes. They're under-resourced. They're put in dangerous positions. And just to quickly finish here, the conversation I'm talking about is, is obviously that we need, we need more time. We need to look at things like the psychiatric hospitals. We look at the Mental Health Act. We've got to look at the legalities behind that stuff. But generally, people who are just struggling with the pace of the world need just help. They need to talk, not some feckin' ad on the HSE to say, just talk. We need more. And that's what Lust for Life is trying to do. That's why Pay Out, Pay, Pay Out a House is trying to do, is to try and fill the gap. But it's not our job. Do you have any, I mean, you've mentioned the NHS. Are there any other countries or systems that would, you would use as, as references? Well, the, the, the health systems, rather than look, the one thing we do with mental health is quite siloed. So we, to me, mental health is health. It's health. Mm. It is, you know, you look at the Australian health system, the Canadian health system, um, some of the Scandinavian, we always go, oh, look, <laughs> look to Scandinavia straight away. But actually mm. some, some Scandinavian models aren't particularly, you know, effective and you know people then say something like Finland has one of the highest suicide rates in Europe even though it has a very good health system we need to stop just equating suicide to every conversation around mental health there's much more to it they also have darkness for nearly whatever six seven eight months a year so there, there is much more nuanced information that we need to get but there is health systems that work health systems are notoriously <laughs> hard I mean let's call it I, I really have to be honest here I just don't I don't like being the stone thrower uh Everything of us for life are doing at the moment is solution-based. Everything we're doing, we're showing where it is working. We're showing how it can work. We're looking at preventative models. We're in schools now. We've started our pilot program that's going to research in UCD that we want to be in every school in Ireland within three to four years. You know, we're looking at ways of actually helping. We have one of the best education systems in the world. We have some of the best teachers in the world. Let's use that because the reality is our health system isn't going to deal with this. It, in its current guise. But it is, there is places where it's working and what gives me great hope is I've worked with some of the most incredible minds of people who just get people. And the one thing I'll say also about people, although our issues are complex, our needs aren't. And it's important to highlight that. And an awful lot of people's basic needs are not being met. And we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which we saw laugh at business studies in school. But that, that still stands pretty firm. If you don't have a home, if you don't have your physiological needs, if you don't have a roof over your head, if you can't feed your kids, how the fuck are you meant to be self-actualized? How are you meant to feel fulfilled with the world? Unless you have these basic needs met, which brings me back to the equality issue again. And equality is the best form of therapy. What do you think um, listeners can do? Like not necessarily people that are suffering from mental health illnesses, but people that actually want to see this change in the world. I mean, apart from voting Labour, what would we do? Oh, I'm not saying vote Labour. I wouldn't vote Labour, to be honest with you. Uh, Labour has a lot of work to do to get my vote back. Um, Maybe in the UK. Maybe in the UK. Yeah, absolutely in the UK. But what I would say around um, the people who are interested in this area, the biggest obstacle we have, and I said this to Lust for Life, I remember sitting in front of them and like, we started on nothing. We started on a blog. I mean, I used to stand outside AIB begging for fucking overdrafts and they were like what do you need it for I was like I have this great idea so I was like, do you have any like anything else you can give us I was like you just got to trust me and they were like that's not how banking works I said, well that's <laughs> bullshit because you used to fuck money out to everybody <laughs> five years ago um, but yeah, it, I, I look back to how we started we were just on the back of a fag pack trying to figure out what to do and how to help and I remember saying to the to the guys Paul and co-founder and just going we shouldn't be lobbying government. We should be lobbying people. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, because government will never change unless they believe there's votes in this. And I was told by a very prominent politician to my face that Brezzi, mental health doesn't get votes. Um, now that was said, I don't, I don't think it was said in a really mean way. It was said in a way, if you really want to change this, you've got to think differently. So if you really care about mental health, and you really want to see that your sisters, your brothers, your mother, and your father, and your loved ones are taken care of if they need it. 
we need to start voting for this issue. But it's important to point out that we ha- we cannot silo mental health. This is a paradigm shift in how people vote. We need to start voting for housing, equality, um, mental health. We got to start voting for putting people first. This isn't just mental health. The reason, you know, and, and I think that is, if that's a mindset thing and I keep going back, you guys are now political experts. Mm-hmm. You know that no matter what happens in politics, that same line comes back. It's the economy stupid. It's the economy stupid. And that is a famous line for a reason, because if you look at any campaign, that is always what will happen. And I'll tell you a story now that we might, you know, and I don't think, I don't want to upset listeners or I just want to make it clear that what we're up against, um, in not the last election, the election before that, um, I was in Lanzarote. I took a week off and it was leading up to the election and all the leaders' debates were happening. And I noticed after the second or third leader debate, not once had mental health been mentioned. The week before I left, I buried a friend and not once was mental health mentioned by any of the leaders and any of the questions, even though in all our hearts, we knew this was one of the biggest issues our country was facing and nobody would talk about it. So I sat in a shitty hotel in Lanzarote in a lobby with shit wireless and I started to tweet political parties. I didn't even know what I was doing. Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, Enda Kenny, um, Labour, Sinn Féin, every one of them, Social Democrats. And I just started going, where's your manifesto? And they'd send it to me and went, that's bollocks, that was your last one. I, was, I went on a rampage and my mate who worked at one of the offices said, you bastard, he said, I'd stay up all night to rewrite something <laughs> because of what you did. And I then got a message from a very prominent RTE interviewer to ask me, listen, can you help me with some questions? Because I'm going to ask questions on mental health for the leaders debate here. And I went, okay, I will, I will. And I spent all day coming up with kind of questions I felt could hit hard. None of them were asked and they were told not to ask them. Yeah. There is something wrong here. Why are our politicians so terrified to look at this area, to tackle this area? Do you think it comes back to what you mentioned before is that it's not necessarily just the politicians, it's it's everybody. We're all afraid. Yeah, and I, I have empathy for some politicians. I really do. You know, there is much, uh, there is much a, win, a window and mirror of our society as we are, but they're leaders. Absolutely, yeah. Being leaders requires you to lead. It requires you to do something that might make you uncomfortable. And, you know, I had hope for it. And I still have hope for it, but I'm utterly deflated. But then I see certain politicians. Now I'm, I, I've long given up, you know, I look someone like Simon Harris. Um, I like him. I like Simon Harris. I've met him. I've looked him in the eye. I think he cares. I think he wants to do better. I think it's a shame that he was removed from health. Um, but I still think like everybody else, he really doesn't fully grasp mental health. And now all, all you're hearing from all our politicians is there's going to be huge mental health issues after this. I mean, we've got to take care of ourselves. You should have fucking thought of that, guys, because you have no idea what you're about to witness when this, you know, when this kind of dissipates, you're going to have people with post-traumatic stress, you're going to have frontline workers. And there's research out there to say, but actually there is research that says in crises like this, some people actually find a way to be far more resilient. Mm -hmm. But there is going to be issues here. There are issues. I'm dealing with them every day. And... I can't, I've had to shut off my DMs on Instagram from people just going, like, do you know what it, does, I said, do you know what it feels like to hear a helpless mother? It is heartbreaking. She's tried everything. Uh, so this isn't me trying to depress listeners. This isn't me trying to be, oh my God, here's Bresley talking about fucking depression again. If you don't care about it, that's fine. And um, that's okay. But we have to do this. This has to happen. These conversations that make people uncomfortable have to be had. This isn't, uh, you know, if you know, go watch Gogglebox or go fucking, you know, listen to like a Love Island podcast. If that's what you want, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But this is what I do. And it's something I'm passionate about and something that needs to change. And we have to find a way to do it in the best way possible without fighting, without throwing stones. This has to be solution based. Yeah. And to your point about the pandemic and, you know, our earlier conversations about technology and the you know ever more present algorithm that's kind of pulling the strings people are feeling more anxious and I guess maybe a good way to kind of draw the episode to a close would be to talk about the kind of 
positive steps that people can take in their day-to-day life to stay on top of their mental health that you know you've if you listen to your podcast you'll know them but I guess could you just summarize some of them for us now for listeners who who might not this might be their first step on this journey absolutely and I think it's really important to say one thing if you're over fucking whelmed right now if you're really anxious and stressed good that is a perfectly normal response to this this is tough stuff don't let some gaslighty ad tell you otherwise that plays like music while you look up like the Angelus in the fucking air and go, everything's going, this is tough. This is almost as tough as it gets. It probably is as tough as it gets for many people. Could you imagine, you know, you know, I think about this a lot, like, and I think right now we have streams of people on LinkedIn and Instagram trying to sell you resilience programs to tell you to be tougher. What I'm telling you, you don't need them. If you're getting out of bed, you're wiping your arse, you're having a coffee, you're having a shower, you're getting about your day, that's enough right now. That's it. That's resilience. That's the very definition of it. I mean, look back at this. You don't need to do anything special right now. And that's survival mode. That is a very important point to make out. I am 22, 23 weeks into this. I have a massive toolbox of supports of how to use or what to do. And it's over. It's overwhelming me. I'm having good and bad days. That is the human condition. And the key to all this, to get into your arse pocket as best you can, to find a way to build some compassion into your life right now, because there's a fundamental difference between narcissism and compassion. And narcissism's when you think you're too much and compassion's when you think you're enough. And right now you need to just be enough and you need to build that narrative in your head. And back to the neuroscience, if you keep having that internal, if you were talking to a mate every day, say John, and you're saying to John, John, you're a bollocks, you're useless, the stadia, look at your fucking hair, dude. Jesus Christ, the smell of you. You're putting on a bit of weight, John. You think John would like you? John would think you're a bollocks. Um, If you're having that narrative to yourself every day, your brain believes it. But the good news is your brain is stupid. And you can tell it another narrative and it'll believe it too. If you can just build that habit, say one good thing about yourself every night before you fall asleep. Just one good thing. That's it. Don't think any more than that. Don't try to make banana bread and do like a fucking marathon by the end of the month. Just fucking be as you are. And I think that is right now your greatest survival tool is compassion and resilience. And we have it. So these, this is it. You know, the world is tough right now. and. I think people need to hear that. They don't need to hear, you know, and we will get through it. That's without a doubt. We will get through it, but it is tough stuff and it is hitting us all. And we're starting to realize what matters in the world. So, the, you know, I hate these other things that people do as well. They give the whole like, so what good has come out of this pandemic? Um, not a lot. It's a pandemic and people will go, the only good that will come out of this, hopefully, is that people reevaluate their values. What the fuck do you stand for? Because without values, you're just Boris Johnson. <laughs> what a horrible fate that is. Yeah, and I mean that, like, I really dislike the man. <laughs> I really dislike him. And I really don't dislike many people, mm. but he, he, is, <laughs> he is a special... He's got, he's somewhere located in my frontal lobe, a little, he's got a little group of neurons, Boris Johnson neurons in the front that makes me just tick every time I think of him. Um, but yeah, and that's it. Just be fucking sound yourself, lads. Right now, that's it. Don't overthink it. Um, eat well, sleep well. <laughs> Don't drink alcohol if you're feeling a bit shady. It's simple, you know, and... I don't, this isn't a plug, this sounds terrible, but if you're interested in that type of stuff, listen to the podcast. The podcast isn't preachy. The podcast is about what we can do and more importantly, what we shouldn't do. And hopefully it's helping people, but I, I just don't have time for the bullshit anymore. Sure. The kind of, you know, the, the overly positive wellness thing all the time. I'm a very positive person, but... I'm very good at holding my negativity to account and that's a real superpower. Brezzy, it's not, it's not preachy at all to um, to plug that podcast. I'll, I'll do you one better now and give a very sincere kind of anecdotal plug for it. Um, back when it first came out, my dad 
heard you, I think, on the radio talking about it when you f- first started. And he, he recommended this to me because he knew I um, struggled with anxiety. And it came at a time when I was here in London, we spoke about how overwhelming the city can be. And I mm. kind of felt at the time that London was chewing me up a little bit. And mm. I was on the, the, the tube in the morning was like the worst part of my day. Mm. And I started listening to um, the first series of it during that, those moments. And just hearing you talk there towards the end of the podcast, I was starting to well up a little bit because it did remind me of that time. Mm. And that podcast was a, a, a true crutch during that time. And it, it really got me through through a difficult stretch here in London. And I'm not saying that to to, to blow, blow hot air up your ass or anything. That's like a genuine, genuine thing. And no, I appreciate it, that. If it did that for me, it can do that for, for you know, for, for anyone. Um, it's a beautifully made podcast. It's... You know, it's it takes advantage of all of the the tools of the medium. It's beautifully sound designed. It's it's this beautiful storytelling, um, and it's got real, it's got real truth to it. That that you know, you'll it will resonate with you if if you're going through something similar. So, yeah, I ca- I cannot recommend it enough. I've been plugging it for for a well, long time. I appreciate time now, that a lot. Yeah. I'm sincerely glad it helps. And I had a guy chatting to me the other day. He was like, "Oh, you you're just trying to sell me a podcast?" I was like. It's fucking free, dude. <laughs> Stop looking for problems. It's like, oh, you're just trying to make money off it. No, dude, it's free. Jesus Christ. Like, it's like, but, you know, I, I really appreciate that. And I think, um, yeah, I, 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 I think podcasting is the most intimate. It's the most uh, nuanced. And in a world that seems to have lost all control when it comes to context, it's the only way to provide context to people now because social media has lost control. So podcasting for me is the savior of, of digital platforms. I think it can really, you know, in, in every, from politics to economics, to health, to mental health, to the violent, to all these things, they all have their place. And I think that's why I love this, this medium because you can forge argument you can have debate and unfortunately we've lost the ability to have debate on social media because people are ripping each other limb from limb in this blood sport that we've now created. Um, and that's why I love this medium, as I said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also shout out to your colleague and co-producer, Kira, who has been on the show as well to talk about the, the Eighth Amendment. Yes, no, Kira is actually an incredible woman. She's also, Kira is a uh, director of Lust for Life. A lot of people don't oh, know I that. I didn't realise that. So Kira, oh, there you go. Yeah, I, I when I first met her, I, I was like, there's something very, very, very special about her, her uh, values. I think more than anything, mm. I think that at the end of the day, once you have them, everything else is easy. But she's also a bloody good podcast producer who is, uh, who is notoriously hard on me as well. And <laughs> um, she'd send you back. The fuck was that story about? That made no sense. I'm like, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> No, thanks, uh, thanks, Kira. She's not that blunt. She's blunter. <laughs> Rezzy, I was in the I was in the office. Um, it was my first day in the office, day in a long in a long long time, and uh, it was just me and one other person there. And I have a, a Sonos sound system. And in preparation for this interview, I was just blasting blizzards, just reliving two thousand five again. And uh, apparently, you could hear from outside. My colleague told me so. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> there you go. Blizzards were back in shortage. Back in shortage. Shortage. Yeah, we're. we're um, we are uh, about to release a new single now, actually. But we're doing oh some, my God. some mad stuff. Yeah, I, like we're like we're still really good mates, but like, yeah. just, we just do it for the crack. Nice. Love an eye for that. Do. Bye, Rezzy, boys. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Take care of yourselves. Take care. Bye, bye. I know. I, I say this like I'm guilty of saying this a lot about like every. Th- I think it's like recency bias. Where I say that was my favorite interview after like every time we have an interview. <laughs> I'm a slave to recency bias, but I think genuinely this time, I genuinely think this is my favorite interview. Sorry, Noah. No, no, no offense to anyone else, but like, yeah, this right. one, I can't, yeah. I, I got moved to tears, literally got moved to tears in this interview. And I just, I, I've been on a, ever since we chatted to him and even before we were chatting to him, I was on a blizzards kick and I've just been upping it even more. And they had a new song come out actually just last week. They did. Yeah. We actually, we got that as a scoop in the episode. You may have noticed, but of course we knew yeah. by the time it would have been released, it would have been too late, but. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I might play it. I might see if we can play it to outro the show. That'd be a good idea. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll play, we'll play, we'll, we'll end with a little bit of uh, one good thing, their new song, which is 
thematically it's actually pretty relevant it's about being there for someone and telling them one good thing to help them get through Aww. a tough moment yeah so that, that, that kind of works um so yeah check, you can you can listen to that on spotify or wherever you get your music but like we said at the start of the show this is just the first part we're going to record another episode right now after this actually um where we chat about our own mental health journey so that'll be dropping on on world mental health day so you can feel free to ch- jump in on that if you want do listen to it why wouldn't you yeah <laughs> why, why wouldn't you uh in the meantime at what on politics on instagram and on twitter what on politics at gmail.com if you appreciate us and want to buy us beer yeah what on politics do that. forward slash beer we also have t-shirts Oh yeah, 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 yeah! Tell me about the t-shirts. We <laughs> we have t-shirts. I made t-shirts. They turned out really, really great. They're not cheap, but that's because they're high quality. <laughs> and we will get a couple of bucks, so we would appreciate doing that if you want to buy them. Yeah. And then if you do buy uh-huh. them and take pictures, we will retweet them, and we will fan girl over you. Oh yeah, God! Can you imagine Brezzy wore a t-shirt? Stop! Oh, I'd have a heart attack and go to heaven. Oh man, uh, those guns! Right. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. We will we will see you in our episode on our mental health journeys on World Mental Health Day but until then here is the blizzards with one good thing This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.